Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Minor League News and Brews, uh, focusing on the Pirates minor leagues, as well as some of the beers around the major and minor league ballparks today. A very special guest uh, for us. Uh, he is Carlos Colazzo. He is from Baseball America, focusing on the draft. So we're going to do uh, a decent amount of, of draft talk here. Uh, Carlos, how you doing today, brother? I'm well. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to come chat some draft. It seems like it's it's kind of heating up for draft season, so that's it's awesome. Yeah, as the, as the uh, you know college baseball season goes on, as you know the draft gets closer, and especially with the Pirates, you know, winning the first lottery, moving up to one one yet again. Uh, there's a lot of talk surrounding that, uh, but also people forget that we also have a few more picks in the draft uh, pretty close to the top. I mean, we're picking it at 42 in the second round, and then we're in the comp B this year, picking at 67. So I've been reading some of the stuff you've been writing over there at Baseball America. I, right now, it kind of seems that most people, uh, I talked to Jonathan Mayo last week, are leaning uh, – towards Mr. Cruz there at the one, one. And one of the things you wrote is, is something that people have been talking about is that, you know, this, this probably isn't the year to maybe get cute to, you know, to mess around with this and mm -hmm. to just basically pick a guy who, you know, had a little bit of strikeout issues during the season last year, uh, cut down definitely on that, but is a guy that could project to be, you know, a center fielder for years going forward and an advanced bat. So is, is that the direction that you think that you're still leaning uh, would be with Dylan Cruz uh, coming out at one, one at this moment? I mean, stuff could change obviously. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that pretty much sums it up really nicely. We had a mock draft that went out today. I, I put Dylan Cruz into the one spot for the pirates pretty, pretty easily. Um, I mean, the Pirates have been a team in the past where they're, they're not afraid to get a little creative in that spot. I think Henry Davis is a, is a good example of a pick that is looking pretty good for them right now with how Henry is performing. But he was an underslot pick at number one. Uh, that 2020 draft is very different than, than this year's draft, however. I think there is a clear top tier. Even within the top tier, it really seems like Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens are both kind of these elite talents that you don't see too often. And then once you're looking at Cruz versus Skeens, I mean, for me, you just look at the attrition risk that you have with pitchers. And for me, the decision would be simple because Cruz is this really high upside, very safe player that when you're picking 1-1, you want to have a player like that. You want an Adley Rutschman type that will give you upside um, that also comes with the safety of, of playing a premium position and being a, a very polished, advanced college player that you don't really have to project on. You don't have to wonder too much about the hit tool. How's that going to look in pro ball? I think he's... He's as good as you um, would hope to get at the very top of a class. It's a good year to be picking top five. And I think for me specifically, it's a, it's a very good year to be picking 1-1 because you've got a couple elite talents to pick from. So uh, for now, Cruz, I think, should be the favorite for everyone, just given what he's done, his pedigree, his tool set. I mean, <laughs> it was several months into the season and the guy was hitting 500. He's not, he's not quite <laughs> at 500 right now, but I don't know that we should expect anyone to hit 500 over a full season, no matter what the level is. So, yeah, he's done everything that people wanted him to do. He's hitting for impact. He's playing good defense. Um, it's just an elite prospect, and I think until something drastic changes, Cruz is probably going to be the guy in that top spot. And I think that's what Pirate fans, uh, we, we've talked about uh, on previous episodes of this, is that you know there wasn't that – 
I wouldn't say generational talent, but that, you know, person who had separated themselves, mm-hmm. um, you know, from everybody else to, to be in that one, one spot. So it could be something that would be different. I mean, obviously there's, I know there's probably a, a piece of pirates fans out there that, that wishes that, you know, Jacob Wilson would make his way up, you know, into that conversation, but this is not the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely a very talented player. That's not putting him down whatsoever, yeah. Uh, but just something, you know, that wouldn't be different. So, mm-hmm. like I said, we're, we're picking 1-1. One, one. We also have, you know, an early second-round pick and then the comp picks. Um, the Pirates, and especially Ben Sherrington, have looked – it looks to be previously uh, to go with, you know, more college arms at times. I mean, they've either mm-hmm. gone like the, the the two-way player, the prep arms. We've seen an Anthony Solomedo. We've seen a Jared Jones. But, I mean, everybody can look at your list and, and see what guys could kind of fall into that range. But is there is there any other, like, you know, maybe not top level, either college arms or college bat uh, that could that you kind of are keeping your eye on um, as, you know, your draft prep goes on? In terms of someone who could be available for, for the Pirates kind of swing around for their second pick? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's one name that I really like who who I personally think fits in the back of the first round really nicely this year, but I haven't gotten a lot of feedback that he's going to go there, and that's Jerron Watts Brown at Oklahoma State. He's a right-handed pitcher there. I saw him earlier in the season, um, and he was solid. And I feel like throughout the year, he's just kind of continued to to post and perform and put up good numbers. He's very athletic on the mound. It's a good fastball and, and probably a plus slider as well. I think just given the production that he's shown, given the breaking ball he has, the fastball life that he has, just the athletic foundation he has on the mound, I'm almost surprised that he's not getting more buzz in the 20-30 range. Maybe I'm just like personally higher on him than the industry. But when I think of like pitchers specifically in this draft who maybe could be available, that's a guy that, that I really like who I think should go before the Pirates' second pick, but but perhaps won't. And the Pirates are a team that's that's been creative in the past with moving money around. Um, I, I think this year we could see a player in the top spot get that full boat um, in terms of the slot value at 1-1 just because the players are so good. Um, but if not, they should have some extra money even even without an underslot move in any capacity at 1-1 just because of the extra picks. So they, they're in a position where they kind of control the draft, obviously, at 1-1. Um, having the extra supplemental pick helps. So John Watts-Brown is one that I like. Kate Cooler at Campbell is another guy who has a really interesting pitch profile. It's a heavy riding fastball, like – 20 plus inches of induced vertical break. He's added this like gyro slider this year. That's pretty filthy as well. There are some strikes concerns with him. Is it, is it starter reliever questions that you're going to want to answer with him? He's a guy, Will Sanders at South Carolina is a player who we had initially at the back of the first round range. He's had some home run issues. I think there are also questions about what is the fastball life with him, kind of the polar opposite of Cade Cooler in that regard. But those are two arms that, that are, are physical and they have stuff and they might be arms that are available for that second pick at this point. Um, it is interesting. I think this is one of the better draft classes that I've covered. Uh, but in the last few weeks, there's been some concern within the industry that the college pitching specifically in this kind of like late twenties to second round, third round range, isn't quite as strong as maybe teams hoped and wanted it to be after some, some players getting hurt, some players just not performing as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the arms in that range. Yeah, and and we at some point in time here, as people who you know follow the minors and that are you know looking at the draft and different stuff, can can stop talking about you know the twenty twenty season and the effect on that, and you know players going from you know 
probably holding on to some of their commitments uh, to, you know, some of these colleges and not being taken because, I mean, when you have a, a five round draft, the, the Pirates have six picks, you know, there's not enough stuff that could be moved there. And, and even the Ben Sherrington has been, like you said, a very creative getting like a Jackson Glenn, getting a, a Mike Jarvis in, in other rounds and going under slot with those to, to save more money, you know, for later on. Now, that's where a lot of people right now, of course, the focus is on the Pirates minor leagues. It's focuses on development and different stuff. Um, big news dropped uh, within the past couple of days here. You, you guys covered it on your site over there with uh, with a 20 year old double A arm, you know, getting called up to the majors. And believe me, that's like super exciting. Al Contreras shows up. I mean, if, if he showed up and, and I was a pitcher, I'd be like, man, what's this dude doing here to, to kind of get that, that ball rolling. But are we seeing like maybe some, some quicker uh, moves and some quicker development uh, through the system? I mean, I'm seeing like even the brewers uh, with like, in the drafts, like a Mitchell uh, getting, we're seeing him already up there. So is, is that something that maybe like, I don't know if it's, like I said, this effect of 2020 mm -hmm. is, is this still playing uh, on that a little bit? Yeah, I think there are definitely still implications from, from 2020 and, and what happened with, with player development. There, there's still, some, I mean, this draft class is good in part still because of that 2020 year. There are a lot of high school players that made it to campus in college, and that's why we have such good depth in the draft class this year. This should be the last year that's that's really impacted in terms of depth because of that. So in terms of the talent we're seeing in the draft, it's still impacting it. I think just the player development environment in minor league baseball, I don't know how many years players really need to, to kind of adjust to that and get used to it, but it's never going to be the same as it was previously in this new minor league system. So I think – it, it seems like baseball wants to develop fewer players in its own system. They want to offload a lot of that development to the college ranks. I mean, the fact that you're getting rid of lower level teams and you're having fewer players um, available to play at, at those lower levels, there are fewer leagues designed for players who are really raw, but have a lot of potential to kind of just go out there and get a lot of reps. Um, it's almost designed to be a, a little bit more of a streamlined system. So it would make sense to me that you're seeing some players move through a little quicker um, increasingly in the draft teams have gone more and more college heavy. Um, so that's tricky. And then I think too, there are also some rules that have been implemented that really incentivize teams to promote their players quicker. The prospect promotion incentive, uh, program that, that gives you a pick. If, if you're pulling up a top 100 prospect and starting him from day one, um, that certainly helps incentivize, uh, teams putting those players on their roster and just having the best talent you can and going with it. I think over the last five to 10 years, really teams have realized that like young players are, are the players who are difference makers. And if they show that they're ready at the minor league level, um, it, it seems like teams in general are a lot less tentative to push them. Uh, even if they don't have some sort of like in your head requirement for innings or ABs, like if they're performing and you challenge them, they keep performing. Like if you've got a spot for them, why not put them up? I mean, Zach Neto flew through the minor league this past <laughs> year. Um, and, and certainly different teams are in different positions. And I think the angels are, are, are certainly under more pressure to win now than some other teams like the pirates who maybe have a little bit more time to kind of take their rebuild slower and they don't need to be as aggressive. Those certainly all come into play. But um, in terms of the development environment, it's, it's certainly quite a bit different. And I think it certainly favors um, college players and players who just are more advanced. I mean, you don't have 40 rounds in the draft. You can't take flyers on these like really exciting high upside high school players 
who are still projection types um, that just need a lot of time to develop. There are just fewer spots for those players. Yeah, and if we keep on mentioning uh, players from Campbell University or, or if the Pirates <laughs> keep drafting players from Campbell University, I I will have to get myself a Fighting Camels hat. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I might just get one anyway. So, but just on a personal level for me, it's, it's just something I think about with people that are, that are watching, uh, you know, and as closely the draft and the previous drafts and writing about mm-hmm. it, like, like you do, I kind of think like, how does like your rankings and how players perform, um, in the minor leagues, how does that affect like your draft rankings, uh, for like, like this year's draft, like how does, you know, your rankings for 2021 and how you see players perform, you know, throughout the minor league systems, like how does that affect your draft rankings, you know, moving forward for like this year? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think there are a lot of things that you can learn personally about players and, and how they perform or how they don't perform certain profiles. Maybe you can become a little bit more skeptical of if you've consistently had a profile that you rank in a certain range and consistently that profile is not performed. Maybe that tells you a little bit of something. Um, it's it's tough it's tough to completely separate my personal opinions and, and the lessons that I'm personally learning from the list itself because our lists were attempting to to capture the industry's consensus. So it's really a, a list based on reporting. Um, and so if I get a lot of feedback that that player X needs to be ranked in this spot, and I personally don't believe it, well, my my personal beliefs really shouldn't impact it because I'm really trying to present to the best of my ability a consensus view on the industry, how the industry sees the talent. Um, so I think how profiles perform in his, like in past years, like the lessons the industry takes, that should also, if I'm doing my job well and reporting accurately on the draft, it, it should kind of trickle down and change the rankings. Um, like for instance, there's, I'm trying to think of one specific profile, but I would imagine a, uh, a long time ago, we had high school players probably ranked in bulk a lot higher than we do currently. I know initially when I was starting, that was one of the critiques is like, you know, you guys have a lot more high school players ranked higher than the industry takes those players. What's the disconnect there? I think part of that is simply because we're trying to rank on talent and teams often know that players are talented, but just don't have the the money to sign those guys out of college. So that's one kind of wrinkle. Um, but also, like I was just talking about, it's just the industry is inc- increasingly college heavy. And so you do need to be aware of those demographic shifts that are happening in terms of players specific, like individual players, it shouldn't move the needle too much if it's just one instance. But I think if you can, if you can sort of bucket a few different profiles that are either doing really well or doing really poorly, it would be hard for those to, to not kind of change your process. If you consistently see that Um, you'd probably need more than like a year or two though, for that to really impact it. Yeah. Hopefully that answers the the question. It absolutely does. And like I said, this was, I don't know if the fans wanted to hear that. I just kind of wanted to hear that just because I, I mean, I read all this stuff and I just want to see like how everything's influenced and you know, there's ebbs and flows. And like you said, things change and there may be a a bulk of, you know, either college arms or college bats or, you know, Mm -hmm. at the one point in time, you know, high school shortstops, you know, there, there might just be, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that's, that's That's the the, one for me. Yeah. If if I'm too high on any demographic, it's gotta be high school shortstops for me. Cause I mean, the guys, the high school shortstops that are going in the first round are typically like the, the toolsiest and the most athletic. There's a reason that you typically don't have very strong college shortstop classes because all the players who are playing shortstop who have tools, get taken before they get to college. Like the industry really values that, that demographic specifically. So I'm in on that one. 
Yeah. And the other part is like, you're talking about like your own personal influence and stuff like that. So there's probably been like a decent amount of prospects and some that exist like within the pirate system that you still keep an eye on. So mm -hmm. is, is there anybody, you know, from the pirates that you had maybe profiled and thought, you know, I'm glad wherever this, you know, whoever gets this guy or wherever he goes, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on him. So I just kind of want to, and if, even if it's not in the pirate system, like who are some of the, the prospects, you know, from the past few drafts that you've done that you're like, man, I, I want to keep an eye on this guy to kind of see how he develops. Yeah. I think one specifically from the pirates that I really like is Bubba Chandler, who was the third rounder in 2021 and probably significantly higher that in terms of just overall talent in the class. I think we had him somewhere in the, 20 to 30 to range on our draft board that year. And that was obviously the year where the pirates took a little bit of savings from Henry Davis and spread it around and got some of these high upside high school players. And, and Chandler was one, he was a guy I was fascinated with because he was a two way player, legitimate shortstop prospect and just had massive upside and arm talent as a pitcher. And my thinking at the time was like, okay, you have this great athlete. who's also a really good football player. He's been doing all these things like, once he gets into pro ball and once he's just focusing on pitching, like just imagine how good he can be, how many steps forward he can take. He's going to get so much refinement on the mound. Um, and, and the performance this year, I don't know that it's um, spectacular in terms of ERA, but we've heard really good things from, from scouts just early on this season in terms of just how the ball looks coming out of his hand, the stuff that he has. So he's one in particular that I really like. And I think another profile kind of to your other question that, that I am probably higher on than the industry overall. And I have to kind of, when we're doing our rankings, I have to bear that in mind and just know, like I like these profiles more than the industry. So make sure I'm not over ranking this profile is high school right-handed pitchers. Because for me, I see a lot of these guys in person. So it's easy to fall in love with them when they perform well. I'm also not the team that's like taking on all of the risk that's inherent with that demographic. And so it's a win-win for me. If, if they're not good, <laughs> it's nothing personal to me. I can just dream on all these guys. So I think that's another demographic that I really like. And I think it's just so hard to find elite pitchers in general. And, and when you when you can access those pitchers on the free agent market, it, it's such a high cost that the many teams just – you have to develop them yourselves or you have to trade for them before they pop. Um, I think that it's worth taking the risk on just the um, – just, just those profiles not panning out because – if you hit on a couple, even if the, the overall success rate is poor, you hit on a couple that really changes the makeup of your organization. And I do think that Chandler has that sort of impact stuff and right-handed talent. There are a couple arms that I really like in the system now, but, but Chandler was one at the time who I, I really kind of fell in love with and uh, hopefully he continues to pitch well. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've seen more stuff with like his slider this year, uh, yeah. not just the, the fastball. I mean, everybody knew that he had like kind of like the power arm and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but the, the secondary stuff has, has really been, you know, kind of showing out with him. And uh, one of the things I, I always, you know, people always ask me, and, and I think maybe you can give uh, better credence to this, or they might, I, you might be able to give a little bit better answer than me. And a lot of people talk about, we were talking about like a, a helium prospect, mm -hmm. somebody who either shoots up the ranks uh, within, you know, your, your rankings for the draft or somebody who, you know, you could see moving through uh, a team system. And, and that's mm -hmm. just like, I, it's, I don't want it to be just like a, you know, a, something that's thrown around like, Oh, this guy's a helium prospect. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we've seen that in the past few years where, you know, when you put out your first rankings, there's, 
you know, guys that may not show up or, or may be ranked fairly high, not perform well that year. And then they fall back a little bit, but what do you, what do you see as like a, a helium prospect? And if you have an example of one of those guys, either in a draft or in a system, I'd appreciate that as well. Yeah. So I kind of think of helium and pop-up prospect a little bit differently. Okay. Helium for me just means he's mo- like a player is moving up boards or moving up a ranking. So you could be a, a well-known player who the industry or, or, or a fan base has known about for a long time. But let's say it was a player who was kind of consistently ranked in the teens of like a, a top farm system ranking. Uh, if he's got a lot of helium, he's just moving up the board. So, so for me, that just means in, in terms of performance or stuff um, or tools has made a jump. Um, and you're, you're just moving up board. It, it simply is kind of like a descriptor of what's happening on the board. A pop-up prospect is more of like, okay, this guy, we didn't really have any history on him. He came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, we're hearing a lot about him. That can certainly happen in, in pro ball as well. There, there are plenty of players that just don't have a long pedigree of, of being regarded as a prospect. And, and you can take uh, really an org-type player, and, and maybe he adds some strength, or he adds a new pitch, or he adds velocity, or, or whatever he's adding. Then you can pop up. On the draft side, it's much more common to have pop-up prospects just because all of these guys really have a short kind of history in terms of, of, of how long they've been evaluated from scouts. I think maybe the best example of a helium prospect that you were asking about initially in recent years is Jackson Holiday. I mean, Holiday was a guy who was almost pegged as like a potential helium guy because scouts liked his underlying skill set and they thought just physically he was a player who could take a massive step forward with more growth and strength in the offseason – and that's exactly what he did. I think entering the year, we had Jackson Holiday somewhere in the second round range. Maybe even Justin Crawford would, would um, qualify for this as well. Both those guys were kind of in the second round range. Scouts love their pure hitting ability, baseball instincts, premium position, like all of these things that check these boxes. And they just were young players who were still coming into their physical development. And, and scouts really wanted to see what they'd look like with strength layered on and how the power ticked up and, and for Jackson specifically, it's like best case scenario. He added a lot of strength. The power came. The speed came. The the speed power grades went up. He he was always a really good defender. Um, but just everything that he did well was um, amplified, basically. And it, it's not like he came out of nowhere, so he wouldn't qualify as a pop-up. But that strength allowed his tools to take a step forward and his skills to just be more impactful in all phases. And all of a sudden it's like number one overall (laughs) and looking like a potential number one prospect in baseball a year from now. So that's kind of how I would describe helium uh, in broad strokes, I would say. Okay. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, that's, and here's the thing is it's like with the guys that are that young, it's like, okay, well, we haven't seen much of him and he came back and he added like, you know, 15 pounds and he, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe changed his, his, you know, approach at the plate or like a pitcher. It's like, you know, when we saw him, he was, you know, throwing like 92, 94, and now he's, you know, touching 98. It's, Mm -hmm. it's stuff that can change during either an off season or if they're, you know, getting workouts during the winter time, whatever it may be. It's, it's stuff that can change very quickly. Absolutely. And I think, I think for all players, like it, it's so hard, like you, you have all this information and you feel like you understand a player, but you really just have to keep in mind that all of these players, especially the young ones, but people change every year. You're constantly working on things. You can, you can change physically, you can change an approach with pitchers, particularly, I mean, from one year to the next, you could be looking at an entire different arsenal in terms of pitch usage, like how players are able to just kind of refine pitch shapes and add pitches. Like you just kind of constantly have to be monitoring all these guys and taking in new information and be willing to 
change what you previously thought about a player because they really can change pretty rapidly. And I think when I was first getting into baseball in general, like everyone was like, oh, small sample size, be wary of that. But especially on the draft side, I mean, things really change very quickly on the amateur side because, like you said, to your point, these players are young, their bodies are changing quickly. Um, so it's kind of just being willing to, to change your mind on players and take in new information is really key, I think. Yeah, well, Carlos, this has been a, a great conversation. I appreciate all the things you guys do over at Baseball America. Uh, for you guys that don't, you know, please go follow Carlos at Carlos A. Colazzo. Uh, also, he has a, a podcast with Ben Badler. It's the Future Pro Pod. I mean, everything that you guys do over there is great. Uh, go subscribe to Baseball America. Read all their stuff. I love the college stuff as well because it's something you can't really get a lot of other places. Me as a, uh, a West Virginia Mountaineers fan, I, I do appreciate that. Uh, so, Carlos, this has been a great time, brother, and we need to do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on, and, and anytime you want to chat, I'm, I'm more than willing to. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, guys, you hear the noise here. It is going to be the beer reviews. And for this one, I was thinking about um, basically uh, trying to maybe in a certain way, like where the Pirates are, who the Pirates are playing. I I definitely am still going to do some of the local breweries around here as well. Uh, but with us playing the Orioles this weekend, I went back to a, a brewery that when I was, you know, just starting off in in drinking the craft beers and you know trying out different stuff. A lot of the times I'll talk about how a, you know, the design on a can like kind of catches my eye. And, and this one, uh, Flying Dog uh, Brewery, Fredericksburg, Maryland, I uh, have a lot of cool Uh, cans and different stuff. I got a three pack on this one. So I had to go to another brewery for the other one, but I'll get to that for this one for flying dog. They had a, uh, a sampler pack. It's like a summer sampler had one of my favorite Mexican lagers uh, that I've had from one of the, you know, the more established or the bigger craft breweries. It's numero uno Mexican lager, 4.9% gave it a 375, just a, a good drinking beer. I uh, can drink that all day. Weighted down to a 325. The next one is one that my my wife loves. We're going to be putting up the pool here pretty soon. It's the pool hopping deck beer, hazy summer ale. So you get that haziness of almost like a hazy IPA, but like the drinkability uh, for some people that uh, that like the ales as opposed to the IPAs. It's a 5.4. I gave that a 400 weighted down to a 350 and this one i hadn't had before and i'm noticing a lot more of these uh and especially in the ones that i've kind of i uh, been i don't know I, I guess the ones i've been reviewing here it's a juicy ipa it's called royal crush coming in uh, at a 6.0 percent uh this one i, I gave it kind of like with the pool hop in a 400 uh, down to a 350 and the beer I've been drinking here uh, while I was talking to our guest uh, Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America is I went with the dog theme uh, they had a pup night that was a pretty big thing over at uh, PNC Park the other night uh, so it was it's brew dog and brew dog started out in the UK uh, this one uh, I believe it's brewed in Columbus at this point in time 
these are some of my favorite types of beers. It's called Light Speed. It's a low cal. I'm not really worried about like the calories. It's 99 calories, but if that's your thing, uh, but it's also like a, a hazy IPA. So you get like the uh, the flavor uh, of the IPA, but more of like a drinkability and, and more of just like that all day, you know, summer sip and beer, a hazy IPA. It's, it's a 4.0. So it's kind of comparable to a lot of, you know, just the, the regular beers. A lot of people may be drinking during the summer. So if you want something with a little bit more you know, flavor, a little bit more punch, this one right here, one of my favorites, gave it a 450 weighted down to a 400. Uh, so we're going to look forward to see, you know, who, uh, we can, we can get on next week's show. We've had some great guests, uh, Eric Birdland, uh, Eric Garfield covering the, uh, Florida state league down there, Jonathan Mayo, Carlos Colazzo. Thank you to all of them. Uh, as you can see for, if anybody's watching the thing, I got my Altoona curve hat on. I'll be heading out there on Saturday to celebrate with, uh, mother's day with my family, uh, it's going to be a great time taking my mom out there with my sister and brother-in-law, my niece, my kiddos, the wife. Uh, we're going to be heading out to Altoona uh, that Saturday. So as always, go Indians, go Curve, go Hoppers, uh, go Marauders, and let's go Bucks. And I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>